Recycling our unsold inventory, that's nothing new. It's not increasing or maintaining the value of the original yarn. We actively sought to find a new solution to deal with the problem. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, my name is Rich Brubaker. I'm the founder of Collector Responsibility here today with the Sustainable Ambassador podcast. It's great to have you all back. And it's great to be with Rana Chow talking about the work that she's been doing, taking the textile firm that she is now the third gen leader of, bringing in sustainability, circularity, making some very interesting investments. And so with that, Rona, thank you very much for taking the time to meet with us, meet with the community. As a starting point, would you mind introducing yourself a little about your, your personal vision and mission? Thank you, Rich. Thanks for having me here. And very nice to have this opportunity to meet everybody and uh, tell you all what we do here at uh, Novatex Textiles Limited and the Billy Upcycling. As Rich mentioned, I'm third generation uh, um, uh, running the business, the textile business that my grandfather started over 50 years ago. Originally, we we started out with just um, uh, basically spinning natural fiber yarn, um, cashmere, wool, cotton. At one point, we actually had a, a slogan where you're complete yarn resource. The Billy Upcycling is our newest, latest project. It originated uh, with an inward look at the textile waste problem that we create. You know, we have large number of customers placing orders, a wide variety of different products, different qualities, different quantities, different colors. Normally, we would make uh, a little bit more for each order as a buffer. Over a longer period of time, we realized this is stuff that's just accumulating. On the on the books, it gets written down, it gets written off, and then we get it gets sold by weight. But if you look at the value of these yarns that we call we deem waste, there's actually a lot of value in them because right. if it's cashmere unsold yarn, it's still cashmere. If it's merino wool, it's still merino wool. So first of all, we were looking at a way to recapture the value. And secondly, just thinking, you know, nowadays to not think of sustainability in in your business it's just not a way to do business so that's how we started right. and then from a sustainability perspective i am not buying additional virgin materials and i'm not throwing or or getting rid of my textile waste or my unsold inventory in an irresponsible way if i can recapture the value and i can use it again that's two birds with one stone so that would be the ideal situation but why look at it at that point was it a growing awareness that you had and maybe your customers had about this challenge. So you start talking about it more or was it just there was so much material that one day you, you tripped over and said, this is ridiculous. It wasn't so much because there was such an enormous amount of unsold inventory, but there was enough mm -hmm. and wanted to find an additional way to address this issue. Recycling mm -hmm. our unsold inventory or our misdyed lots, that's nothing new. We've been doing it for a long, long time. You know, okay. traditional ways of recycling, you basically just chop everything up, you throw it all together and you mm -hmm. dye it to a dark color. Right. So it's not increasing or maintaining the value of the original yarn. So, yeah. so those were some of the reasons why we, we actively sought to find a new solution to deal with the problem. So what is the Billy system? What is the new solution? Okay, the Billy system is a patented six-step process. The first step is sanitization with ozone. Uh, we have on-site these ozone drums, and we put the textile waste into these ozone drums, and within 45 minutes, everything is sanitized. Second step, 
we cut away the trims. So yeah. the things that cannot go through the machines, buttons, zippers, very thick seams. Then we have an automatic um, color sorting system, trays going through this conveyor, and then mm. a camera will sort them by color. And then the next step, chop up the, the, the textile waste, the fibers, and then we have yeah. to comb. We comb everything back into fiber, and then it kind of gets shaken into a sheet. Now okay. at this point, this material goes through two more times of UV sanitization. And then the last step is what we call twisting into slivers. That's the output of the Billy system. These slivers then get shipped to our factory in Zhuhai. Why do this in-house? Why not send us out to any one of the hundred recyclers that claim to be out there that could have taken your waste and just given it back to you as a, as a normal yarn? Like maybe even spun it with some virgin material just to, to improve the quality a little bit. The reason why we did it in-house, it's because we thought this is something new that could be spread out to others where like-minded people could be could you know could be engaged in this kind of business as well. So the vision was for scale. What what did that mean for you? You're gonna open source this for others, you saw this as a business line. How, how did you see the vision of this coming about? One of the original visions was we could license this or mm. we could build um, build another Billy uh, factory somewhere else. It has not been that easy. Even at our own Taipo facility, we have not been able to work the Billy system at full capacity as we had originally envisioned. And the reason is, right, it's all calibrated for uh, ideal situations where the yeah. input is 100% natural fiber. It's mm. knitted uh, textile waste. And it's very difficult. Just imagine, you know, if you collect from a branded apparel outlets in Hong Kong, you're sure. not going to easily collect 100% natural fibers, all knitted garments, same right. color, you know, large enough lots. So that's one of the first um, big kind of obstacle we've had to face. And, and so, you know, this, this problem will be faced by anybody who sets up the billy. I've worked with a number of the branded apparel groups, and I would say everyone works with laboratory conditions until they realize 90-something percent of stuff is mixed. Given that fact, what I'm seeing is a lot of brands say, okay, we can't do the consumer stuff yet, so what we'll do is go back and attack the manufactured, because there you can get the quantity. And actually, many times, you can get the same quality and the same colors coming off the end of the line. So are you pivoting more towards that and just maybe putting a billion into your own factories? Or how does that change the business model and the application of the, the, the technologies itself? Okay, I'll tell you one of the biggest things that we're driving for is full circularity. Um, and that is this, that is another big hurdle that we're, we're seeing is that a lot of these um, branded apparel companies or they will come to us with a big amount of a certain quality mm -hmm. and that's perfect for us. But when you talk about the output, most of them don't want it back. And that's very frustrating. And secondly, mm -hmm. I don't want to be your solution for disposal. We're not about that. We want to promote full circularity. Now I'm right. seeing uh, quite a bit of success there with the smaller brands. They actually will collect their mm -hmm. own textile waste, like what you said, right? Either um, unsold yeah. inventory or, or leftover materials. They'll mm -hmm. give it to us. And when they give it to us, they're already talking about what they want it to be and what they want to make it into. So these are great success stories, but they're much smaller scale. I agree that the, the smaller brands can do it, but the smaller brands don't really bring the scale. Like no. they're, they're not, they are a problem, but they are not the problem in my view. Adidas, H&M, Nike, Gap, 
a, I mean, not that any of them have done anything wrong, but they all talk about how they want to change. What, what do you think is the major barriers for them? Is it the fact they have so many materials? Is it the fact that they're not willing to pay? It's like the Titanic, right? Even if there's a big sustainability department, you know, pushing this and supporting this, when it gets translated into design, merchandising, production, it kind of gets lost because the, the company executives are trained to think about growing sales. So, so there has to be availability when the customer right. wants it. And one thing that I've, I've seen, uh, some of these big brands have been talking to us and what they want to do is, is to start with smaller collections where mm -hmm. it's full circle. If it's successful, yeah. Yeah. then we slowly, slowly, slowly extend it to, you know, to be a bigger collection and, and all of that. What are the big trends that kind of show that we're, we're actually making progress for the last few years? Innovation, of course, is happening all the time, many of which I find at this moment impractical, but we can't not um, do this innovation because it mm -hmm. will will lead to something at some point. You can look at it as an investment in, in the whole solution seeking process. And again, I think it takes multiple parties from at multiple levels. You've been working on Billion now for a few years, I think five years. Where do you see the next five years of this system? And what are you trying to get done, say this year, to set it up for that vision? Currently, we are getting a lot of feedstocks collected coming from China. Mm. Coming into Hong Kong is no problem. Well, after right. your process is any problem, right? Why not just collect all across China and then process it right within, you know, within mm -hmm. Zhuhai. Uh, um, so that's something that we're thinking about. Uh, hopefully we can, we can get a bit more scale, more practical, more practical applications that way. Now transitioning a bit to yourself, you mentioned that you're a third gen. Why did you take up this role to bring in this new, to, to talk about sustainability, even to begin with? Because as you mentioned before, you know, the old, this is how we used to do it and it worked, but you thought, okay, look, novel, you know, we need to, we need to transition. So maybe a little bit of background about what it means to be the, the next generation of leader and then how you maybe brought in your own ideas and, you know, around sustainability and yeah. how that kind of the timeline around that. 12 years ago in 2010, a bit more than 12 years ago, was when I first stepped into uh, this role at Novatech. I was quite uncomfortable, <clears throat> but it was I didn't have a choice because, as I mentioned, my my younger brother passed away very suddenly. Why did we Why did we think of doing something new? It wasn't so much like, oh, now I need to do something new. It wasn't like that. It yeah. really was both thinking about a new business prospect because we thought, okay, we can we can offer a new uh, quality of yarn and sustainability is catching on. People are demanding it. They're talking about it. This should be a good business proposition. Mm -hmm. That's number one. And number two, as I mentioned before, we, we have our own internally generated textile waste problem that we wanted to address. It wasn't so much like, okay, we've got to do something new, but it happened to be the right thing to do, okay. um, and 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 we're very happy uh, that that we are <clears throat> that we are at the stage we're now because the traditional yarn spinning business has been like that for a long time. You yeah. you you can innovate, you can invest into new machines that might be mm -hmm. uh, uh, faster, you know that could get, that could make finer yarns or whatnot, yeah. right? And you can automate definitely. Um, we chose to do something different mm -hmm. uh, that is an extension of what we've historically been doing and i think that's a very natural thing for for this family 
okay. to do in, in the businesses that we've, we've done. So did you have to do a lot of convincing or did you have to prove yourself and then say, okay, now's the time to strike or how, how do you, I, I'm not even sure if it's any different for a normal CEO. I mean, you still have a, a stakeholder above you or next to you that you have to sell this vision. Did you view yourself as maybe any different than pre your previous corporate life and having to sell the idea or this is the family business. I have the ability to control it. Let's go. Okay. So when I first stepped into this role, it was very different because I had no experience running a manufacturing facility or, or production business. And then of course we had, we had colleagues, we had work, we had um, um, staff who had been there for decades mm. with real experience. Right. So when I first joined Novatex, I would go to all the meetings mm -hmm. and I would be quiet. You, you kind of have to learn the ropes. You, you pay respect to the people that deserve to be respected, but you cannot be quiet all the time. So you 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 wait right, for the right. right moment when you exert and when you establish your authority. When it comes to the Billy, I don't think there, I didn't need to, I needed to sell the concept to myself actually, to convince myself that this was worth investing in. The potential business uh, that we, we, we could make out of it seemed yeah. very positive. Uh, the fact that we would be able to address our own uh, uh, textile waste problem was also very positive. That, but the investment, the amount of money and 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 you know brains and and time and all of that that needed to be invested into this project yeah. was it worthwhile? We decided to do it. Uh, it was after quite a bit of consideration, looking at models and and looking at the numbers. So far, it's been quite promising. I mean, even though. Uh, we're not at the capacity that we would like. We are not at the profitability, uh, or, or we're not profitable actually. But besides profit, we are gaining a lot of other uh, other things. Like we're making a name for ourselves. I mean, just now, right before um, uh, I came onto this call, we were talking with a potential partner who, not a competitor, but right. she came to us and she said, "I've been wanting to work with you guys for the last three years, and I even have all these plans drawn up." So, so we are getting. Awesome. Um, uh, traction. People are coming to us, right? So, so hopefully this will this this kind of will ripple out, and more and more people will want to work with us or do something something similar to what we're doing. And then we have we have the scale, and we have more influence and more impact. So, in five years, how do you want to be able to measure the success of this time, brain, financial partnerships, like all that input? What are the metrics that you would come back and say this was a success? Well, number one, if we're if we're profitable, that would be great. Um, and and I do I do see that at some point we will we will get there. Another measurement would be if a lot of big brands who are already currently our customers really working with us, really doing full circularity, collecting their own unsold inventory or scraps and whatnot and having a very clear intention of using those materials. Yeah. Whether they work with us or work with somebody else, it doesn't really matter, but it has to be a true full circle. Mm. Um, so, so I think those are the, the two big metrics for measurement of success for us. Of course, so there if, are you were talk, if you were talking to an executive from one of the big brands and they were like, what we need to fix this problem. What should we do? What are two or three things you tell them? Look, you're not going to make a lot of progress next week, but here's where I would get started if I were you. I would tell them to make less and make more with sustainable materials mm -hmm. and make it a very big campaign okay. because 
more and more customers are are demanding it. You know, right now their choices are somewhat limited, are actually very limited because they are also constrained by price points and availability, right? So if I am just a regular customer, regular consumer, and I cannot pay 1,000 US dollars for a fully upcycled sweater, I'm just gonna go and buy a sweater if I need a sweater, I'm gonna go buy a sweater from whatever, you know, fast fashion brand. What is gonna happen is these conscious consumers are growing in numbers and they will buy less. These Mm. big brands are already seeing it. Maybe they're not telling the whole world. Their unsold inventory numbers are climbing very fast. Right. And they are seeing fewer and fewer ways of disposing of them. Right. Mm. In the old days, I think you could burn, you could, you could throw to the landfill, you could, you know, ship off to some uh, fifth world country. These Mm -hmm. options are becoming fewer and fewer. So if you are a big brand and you've been storing your unsold inventory in warehouses because warehousing costs were low, that cost is going to go up because no more warehouses, right? Right. So I think there, there, there has to be, and there probably has been very conscious efforts. I think with a lot of these large companies, there's probably not enough communication or Mm. communication turning into active policies or actions not fast yeah. enough. And I think with more people talking about it, with more um, uh, media coverage, telling you the glaciers are melting, you know, we yeah. have, we're running out of water. And like in Hong Kong, we have no more landfills. Right. These are things that when, when more and more people see these, they're facts, then they're going yeah. to, their mindsets are going to change, then they are going to become more activist. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the domino effect will will take place and maybe more of them should look should do what we do look mm-hmm. internally at the problem that you've created yeah. and then fix your own problem first mm-hmm.